Ivo, when you hear the term business development, how do you make sense of it? Someone that develops the business. Well, <laughs> it's good that we have a guest that can explain things. <laughs> the success of the business development process is not closing a deal, but it's creating the opportunity so that the sales. Can there we go. My papers are a little wet, so, so, so I can't see the next questions that we have. Hello everyone and welcome back to Hackcast. This is the official Hacksoft podcast where we explore the intersection between software development and running a software development business from the unique point of view of being in Eastern Europe and more specifically, we are in Sofia, Bulgaria. Ivo, where are we right now and who we, do we have with us? We are with, within the Hackcast studio. It's episode number six, season yes. four, right? Yeah. And we have a very special guest. He's not only uh, head of solutions consulting at Ampeco, but he's also really close personal friend of mine. We have Todor Stratiev here. Hey, Toshe, say hi. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. And uh, really nice to be here. Thank you for the invite. It's a huge pleasure for us, too. So tell us a couple words about the company you work in, Ampeco, and a couple words about you. Right, a couple of uh, words about me. <clears throat> I come from a more uh, generalist profile, uh, which means I, you know, I am to have good understanding of the different aspects of a business. And over the last few years, I've been really focused on uh, on sales, pre-sales for technical companies, for startups in Bulgaria, um, mainly enterprise sales, so mainly selling to large businesses. Um, at a, at Tampeco, I'm currently head of solution consulting. I started as a, as a salesperson. I still have some sales and business development responsibilities, but right now my role is um, head of um, solution consulting, which is our non-technical pre-sales team. Okay, I got two important questions here. <laughs> so taken from Ampeco's website, uh, Ampeco is a Bulgarian startup that develops a white-labeled EV charging management software. Mm -hmm. What's that? <laughs> Tell us more about the product you're actually selling. Right. Well, the software we develop enables um, charge point operators and electromobility service providers. Those are the companies operating networks of charges for electric vehicles. Uh, and also building the, the interfaces for EV drivers so they could find those networks of chargers. Uh, white label really means that we, um, we brand it for the customer. So the software we have, we, um, you know, we make it look like it's our customer's own software. It's branded with their colors and logos and everything. Uh, and it looks like it's their own application. So effectively, this allows them to start very quickly, having their own interfaces, but also having a fully developed back office system which can manage the different aspects of the charge point management uh, business. Uh, and, and they can start very quickly. They have a very you know solid solution. They can go to market in a matter of, if not weeks, then a few months. Okay, so if I'm the one trying to charge my car, mm -hmm. you're not the guys that produce the charging station, but you're the guys that are doing the software for, for, for the back office of the charging station provider, and you are the guys that are doing the, this, the, the, the mobile app, for example, that I'm using while charging my car. Um, yes, correct. So in this space, there's a f at least a few different main components you, ne you need to think of. There is the hardware, which is the charging stations. There is the firmware that goes into the charging stations. 
uh, there is a uh, there is a, there are back office systems like ours um, and there is interfaces like the like the mobile application that mm-hmm. I mani- mes- uh, mentioned uh, but also web portals and stuff like that all of that is also um, facilitated by uh, industry standard protocol mm-hmm. which allows communication between the stations and the back office systems directly um, and also you know from then on it's really about flexibility you know most of the large players would like to build their own interfaces and this is why we aim to be the best platform on the market because mm-hmm. our architecture allows for easy developing on top of what we have okay so if i want to start operating ev charging stations mm-hmm. i'm contacting you you're selling me the software solution and then i need to figure out which charging station to buy stations and then i need just to to, to manage that yeah just that but also <laughs> actually a bunch of stuff so like uh, you need hardware you need uh, to figure out a connectivity provider so mm-hmm. those uh, stations need to be connected to okay. the internet so okay. we can manage them mm. uh, you need to figure out who is doing the installation and maintenance of of those stations because you know that they're a device that takes maintenance mm. um, we do a bunch of it over the air you know through our back office directly uh, but you still need uh, a team of people who Uh, should be available to go on site and check if something is wrong. Um, and, of course, you need driver support. Actually, there's a lot of support going on in this business, especially in the early days, mm-hmm. uh, because you have to be very, uh, you have to educate customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those guys have to educate EV drivers. Sometimes it's something as simple as the sequence of, of action, like when do you pull the plug, when do you click on start charging, Um, we on our end need to educate the operators as well because quite often we have, <clears throat> I mean, we, we work with different businesses. Many of them will be large energy companies who are, have decided to go into this uh, in this new niche, but many of them would also be uh, startups. Hmm. Uh, and it's guys who, let's say, are good at getting financing, are good at uh, building teams or building a product, um, but they have somewhat limited knowledge in the beginning about EV charging. Hmm. So our role is quite educational in the process, and in the same way, they often need to educate EV drivers and you know what needs to happen. So a lot of support is needed. Okay. Yeah, I've been in this situation a couple of times, like calling the support. Hey guys, where to plug this? <laughs> It's not working. What for an electric vehicle? Yeah, for electric yeah. vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the early days of EV charging, there's still <clears throat> there's still a few issues with uh, reliability of the network, especially in markets where Um, there's a lot of um, government financing, a lot of state financing, because what happens is they simply roll out a lot of uh, infrastructure mm. to get the financing, uh, and it's not about the quality of it, but it's about you know making use of the investment. That's really the case in the U.S. right now. There's an interesting phenomenon that the U.S. is someone... You know how in Europe usually a lot of the economy is about regulation and, and government financing? Yeah. Uh, and the U.S. has always been about the innovative guys. Yeah. Well, in EV charging, is the opposite. Europe is ahead because there was a lot of regulation over the past 10 years right. to do more EV charging, so we have more experience. And in the U.S., actually, <clears throat> and not only are they slightly behind because of Trump's, uh, you know, interesting. Uh, uh, Trump's uh, term, uh, but also um, they're re- uh, right now they're investing a lot of money to you know catch up. 
but it's at the cost of the quality, right? A lot of the right. networks are not working great. So this is where the niche for us comes comes in. Like our product is able to solve many of those pain points. All right. So if I if I if I am to summarize, if I am uh, Ivan and I want to do some big business here uh, in Bulgaria because EV EVs are. Uh, getting more and more popular. You can see quite a lot of electric vehicles all, all around Sofia. Uh, I will need to find first someone to procure me the hardware, uh, the charging stations, uh, and all, all, all the all the just around the ch- charging stations. And then most probably those guys will tell me, hey, but you also need the software in order to run this. So go go talk with, uh, go talk with Ampeco. And you guys are going to come after the hardware is already installed and you're going to install the software or at least that part of the software that needs to connect to the firmware on my charging stations, figure out the connectivity, take some uh, 4G, 5G uh, chips, put put, in, put them in the charging station and then you will give me some kind of uh, like cloud-based uh, portal where I can see all of my charging stations in one place. Is this correct? I'm more or less, making more or less, a few yeah. assumptions. No, it's good. Uh, it's good. I would say uh, there's a few uh, maybe assumptions that we need to address. One is uh, uh, we don't install anything on the charge points. Okay. So they just connect over over the internet. So you put in the the, the 5G chip there, and the firmware uh, knows where to send uh, the raw data. Right. Yeah. We just configure them. We connect okay. them to okay, our okay, back okay, office. Okay, okay. It's a secure connection. It allows that's the protocol thing, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's sometimes us that um, are recommended by the hardware guys. It's somewhat uh, sometimes we that need to recommend uh, hardware. Hardware guys. Yeah. So it's usually different hardware flows, guys. but. Uh, this is for starting out operators, mm, which mm. is still a lot of the cases because we're in the early days. But over the last, uh, I think, couple of years, Ampex really positioned more for servicing large operators. Okay. So the kind of energy companies we're signing, they already have thousands of stations or in some cases, tens of thousands of stations. Wow. Um, okay. In, in markets like Norway, for example. Mm. Um, that's, uh, you know, 85% of the new car sales in Norway are electric vehicles. So it's already, while it's a small population, it's roughly the size mm. of Bulgaria, I think. Yep. Um, the the number of EVs is huge. So it's already a step ahead of any other European market. Got it, got it. All right, so that's, that's I think I finally understood what Ampeco are doing. So <laughs> thank you for the, uh, both of you for the explanation. Uh, it was good just to listen uh, on the site. And uh, Toshko, you are the head of solutions consulting at Ampeco, but you also mentioned uh, uh, a bunch of stuff like sales, pre-sales, and business development. And actually for this episode, this is going to be the topic of the episode. We're going to talk about sales and business development in the tech startup space. And we are going to address all the different terms. Uh, We're going to try to explain them. And uh, we are going to be asking Toshko a lot of questions because we are tech guys. Uh, we are running a software development company, but uh, as, as you can imagine, we had a lot of struggles and we had to learn the business side of things along the way. Otherwise, we would not be here at all. Yep. Uh, so this would be extremely also, how to say, uh, good for us because interesting, interesting yeah. and good. Uh, we are going to learn stuff and we're going to um, ask questions. So 
do you want to start with because you you said that you started with as a sales at Ampeco and right mm-hmm. now you're head of solutions so I think let's let's go through the career journey because this will give us the first insight between uh like what is sales and what is head of solutions and what's the, what's the difference right. there so let's let's start with that mm-hmm. right well sales <clears throat> sales is first of all generally quite a broad term right everyone talks about sales and to be honest if you're a, if you're in a startup and if you're lucky to be one of the first few employees really everyone should be kind of doing sales mm-hmm. whether it's if you're a developer you might be doing sales in in your community so that you can recruit more people um, but if you're a CEO CTO everyone should be involved in those sales process by sales we mean the general process mm. from having someone who's potentially interested in your products right to you know discovering more about their needs having a product demo if you're a product company and uh, then you know backing up your name so saying who else you work with um, then uh, maybe handling some objections or understanding any concerns they have then understanding what commercials will work best for everyone and then the terms and conditions and then closing the deal so this whole thing brief generally is mm. called the sales process uh, and I started out as a salesperson at Ampeco which allowed me to <clears throat> get a very good overview of uh, the company mm. of uh, how we do business uh, both uh, on the front end so like sales but also post sales because I was also account manager for the customers that I would sign so I can see what actually you know happens and I can be confident that you know the way I speak to customers is honest and, and truthful um, and I eventually transitioned to take up um, more specific um, sales functionalities. Mm. So, for example, we have a lot of uh, what we call tenders. So, tenders are... What is a tender? A tender is like... A, um, it's an organized purchasing process. Um, like uh, Turk in Bulgarian, but it's basically bidding. All right. Um, <clears throat> you have a lot of this in the public space, but actually what we, you, you don't find out is... You have a lot of private tenders as well. So if a, if a large company decides to purchase a complex product that's very important for it uh, and could be very risky for its operations, uh, it goes through a more structured purchasing process like a tender. And okay. there's really a bunch of uh, types of tenders like requests for information, RFIs, mm. requests for proposals, RFPs, requests for quotation, RFQs. There's some somewhat of a logical sequence of those but not always followed by everyone um the idea with tenders is buyers aim to first of all limit risk risk is the most important thing in enterprise sales okay and uh, we can talk a bit yeah, more we'll about get this. there yeah, yeah. yeah. um <clears throat> first of all they aim to limit risk by understanding every aspect of it okay from y- including information and a bit about the product and its capabilities but also company you know the the seller's uh, financial health okay, okay. Um, but also the seller's uh, human resource like what experts do they have to support the delivery of this project mm. um, but also security let's say uh, reliability scalability of the system all of those aspects would usually be covered in a, in a more complex tender 
and also increase competition uh, if you want to like see multiple offers. So the first thing that I'm hearing right now is if you are a startup and you want to be selling to bigger companies, uh, you, you and you have have no previous experience with this. This sounds like uh, like a headache to me. Like there is a tender process which is a structured uh, like process, multi-step process that can go for months, I believe. Um, years. Years? Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. And then you, you need to follow through. And it's not like, hey, I like you, let's work together. But rather, I need to be sure that once we start working, we are going to be working together for many, many years. And this is this is part of the game. Yeah, it, absolutely right. Uh, everything you say is correct. I would say it's... <clears throat> It's a very complex process and there's a lot of specifics at every step of it mm. that you need to know. Um, and it, in that way, it's been an amazing learning experience because, you know, no other company has really been able to offer me something like this. Uh, so, but so, also, so you yeah. started like uh, as a sales, which uh, mm -hmm. the way that you described it is from there is a lead and then you take on the lead mm -hmm. and then you... Uh, get the lead through the entire process and at, at a certain point you started dealing with tenders which is like a more complex thing um, like a more complex sales process and needs mm -hmm. more follow-through needs more knowledge of the system uh and okay so so we got there yeah yeah so i started taking up more of the responsibilities related to tenders and also to contracts okay um and i started helping out my fellow sales colleagues with their tenders and their contracts and eventually started leading the team that focuses on pre-sale support, um, on the tenders, uh, and on what we call proof of concept systems. So those are the test systems for, you know, if you want to try out the platform for a oh, few okay. weeks or yeah. a month, this would be the testing experience that uh, we provide. All right, so we have sales, we have pre-sales, we have tenders. So pre-sales, this is like a, a, a funny term to me because it, I'm not really sure how to describe it. If someone mm -hmm. asks me what, what pre-sales is, so how would you, yeah. if you have to describe it in uh, a couple of sentences? Yeah, yeah, I understand this. I was also very confused when I first <laughs> heard the term. Um, well, if you, to understand how they differ, let's talk about sales for a second. All so right. Sales, yeah. Yeah. sales, a good salesperson needs to be able to do a few things. Like they need to be very good at mechanics. Uh, so they need to be following up with their leads. They need to be scheduling the right meetings, checking in on at the right time, um, basically be there for the customer where they need it. Um, they need to be good at persuasion. Okay, so they need to know how to communicate to that customer and how to explain a certain topic in the way that will resonate with the customer, that will understand their needs. Um, and they also need to know a lot about well, not a lot. They need to know about the product and the industry. Mm. And this is where it gets complex because with time our products, you know, develop to be quite complex. It's somewhat unreasonable to expect from salespeople to focus on uh, deep understanding of the product's capabilities or very deep understanding of the industry. Um, so instead, you would want them to make sure they're amazing in mechanics and persuasion. Mm. All right. Uh, and of course, the disk is like time management, people skills, and so yeah. on. This is where pre-sales steps in. This is the team that's expected to bring in expertise in the process when it comes to the product and the industry. So pre-sales support really means stepping in and the discussion with the salesperson, 
uh, and helping them do uh, a deeper analysis, mm -hmm. helping ask the, the customer the right questions so you can unpack their business needs and, and, and have a better understanding of those. Uh, and ideally also be able to map solutions to those business needs. This is why in our case it's called solution consulting, because first of all, we have a consultative approach to sales. So we start with understanding the customer, their needs, asking a lot of questions. When they mention a need, we ask why you need this. Mm. So it's a lot of whys uh, to, to get to the business need. Um, <clears throat> And then it's about mapping those to, you know, the capabilities of the company or the capabilities of the solution to deliver against them. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I'm trying to, uh, thank you for the explanation. I'm trying to map to our experience because mm. it was very, we have very limited sale experience. Uh, definitely no tender processes. So we recently launched the consulting product. Mm -hmm. Like we have... 100 euros per hour flat rates mm -hmm. and we agree the hours beforehand before we start working so for example if you need us to take a look at some piece of software that you're running and we see that it's going to be eight hours i just say i'm going to take a day if you're okay we're going to execute that's all and the process that we have been doing is uh, I'm talking, for example, to a client and I'm acting like a sales. I, 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 I can be technical, but I'm acting like a sales. I'm warming up the client so the client feels okay to actually, like the client justifies to himself or herself the amount. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like giving different examples for if we start working like for real, for real, it's going to be much more expensive. So that, that's, that's how we can get a fraction, fraction of our value. And the clients are quite happy. And then... I bring some of our senior uh, engineers and senior team leads and they start asking the why questions. Mm -hmm. Like it's still, uh, I, I will still call it a sales process because the client has, hasn't been closed yet, but they start asking the, the why questions and the technical questions and most most probably execute the work after this. So just trying to, to map sales and, and pre-sales. Like sales is the warming process of the client for me this is at least how how i understand it yeah i mean if you if you take a step back from you know business to consumer business to business or enterprise sales mm. at the core of every uh, sales process there's a few things everything starts with uh, gaining authority you want to to demonstrate how you're the right person to advise there okay why would I listen to Rado and even for my software? Mm. Well, because they've delivered this and this and that project successfully for this and this and this type of companies. And because of this is what people in the community say about them. Um, so you want to establish authority uh, and you want to be seen as a, as a trusted advisor. This is really the, I would right. say, the only you know, reasonable way to, to go about sales right now. Um, and part of that is to also build a relationship with the customer over the process. That relationship might be, because for example, we and you, we, we create products and services that are very essential for those customers. Mm -hmm. Like literally their success depends on you delivering. Yes. So the sales process needs to be like a demo of the relationship as well, not just of the technical capability. Uh, you, you need to be able to demonstrate to them how, first of all, you respond quickly when they need you. Mm. Secondly, you respond, uh, you know, adequately. It's not just a response, but you're able to address their need. 
Uh, and thirdly, ideally, you can deliver something small th during the sales process as well so that they can see that you've listened, you've cared, and this is what we expected. So any sales process will have similar components, uh, regardless of whether you're selling product or, or service. But of course, from then on, you have differences. Uh, this this was a great summary. We're definitely going to clip it and <laughs> put it as, as something separate. Uh, really, really well said. I think it resonated. It resonated with me. And so you mentioned <coughs> you mentioned consulting approach. So mm -hmm. so before actually in the pre-sales process, mm -hmm. you are like consulting the client, trying to give the client some, some value even before starting working with with them, right? Mm -hmm. And this sounds like something that's free of charge and just as a the beginning of the sales process. Yeah, well, all of those things, for example, whether it's free of charge and what exactly you do as part of the pre-sales process, they would depend on what you're selling. Hmm. Like you can't be selling someone something that's uh, you know cheap, and then there will be a lot of people wanting it. You cannot afford to to deliver something for free as part of every sales process. Uh, it's more common for um, enterprise sales where deals are larger and, mm. and, and, uh, and longer as well. So let's say I work over 12 months to try and win this customer. Uh, it's considerable, a considerable amount of money, so we are interested in also investing. Uh, and, and you know, having some costs is, is a normal part of a, of a sales process in this kind of scenarios. So then you would um, be happy to you know, maybe set up a, a, a demo of the product specifically for them um, to also uh, configure it mm. the way they need it to be configured. So it's more of a real-life testing experience for them. They can they can connect it to their actual problems they have right now, and they can see the solutions there themselves. Um, yeah, for, generally speaking, you would you would see where you can add value whether it's about the relationship. So for example, their current supplier isn't listening to them or is not supporting them well enough, uh, or uh, or it's about the product and its capabilities. But yeah, this kind of process would require more of an investment on your end compared to if you're selling to small businesses, for example, then you can have a different go-to-market strategy that's more about, yeah, well, sales strategies generally, mm. they can be top-down or bottom-up. So top-down is where you uh, where you have a, a bigger deal size, uh, it would take longer to sell, and usually you would go to someone like CEO, someone who's more of a decision maker. You talk to them, uh, and from then on, it's about mapping their needs to to what you can offer. Um, bottom up is where you would address the user. Uh, you would expect them to uh, to really like the product, maybe have a free trial of it, yep. uh, and raise this up with their decision maker. Maybe then goes up to. Uh, the management. So the two would, uh, you, you can think of um, uh, trial experiences with both, but they look very differently. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and very key thing that uh, Todor, Todor is really, that Todor said, is good, Todor no? is good yeah. that Todor said, uh, is sometimes sales on your rent will require investments. Uh, and I'm again trying to map to our experience. And from our experience, there are two key terms that uh, our clients and, and partners often use. One is transactional, like this is transactional. And the other is, hey, this is a, this is a partnership. The way we try to work with our clients is to establish 
partnership, like long-term partnership. We position ourselves as development partners beyond code. Like we want to be the core and the stability factor for our clients. And we have been throughout the years. But from time to time, uh, there it feels like uh, things are uh, uh, transactional. And the problems are when you want, when you think it's partnership and the client think it's transactional and vice versa, when you think it's transactional and the client think it's a partnership. So uh, when you want to build a partnership, I think almost always we have made an initial investment on our end, like either working for free or delivering way, way more than, than what is expected just to gain, just to gain trust because, because we are often perceived as uh, cheap labor from Eastern Europe that will do the coding. And we always have to fight in order to show, hey, by, by the way, we're, we are equal to, to the uh, US folks that you're going to hire, sometimes even better. And we can be running, uh, the software on your rent and you have the arbitrage of us being in Eastern Europe and labor being cheap. Uh, so it's it's a good deal on both ends. But when you want to build a partnership, that's what I'm thinking on our rent, we always do an initial investment. We always do. And every time that we think about, let's charge them for this time and we make it transactional while we want to build a partnership, it fails. Like this, just doing a reflection, reflection on, on our rent. Yeah, I mean, any sales process would uh, take investment. Like just having a salesperson itself is an investment yeah, already yeah. into sales. The matter is, the question is, um, how much are you, are you mm. willing to invest? And also, uh, does it make sense compared to what you're getting back? Um, there are ways to also address the, the challenge of, of uh, you know, what you're going into. Is it transactional mm -hmm. or a partnership? Um, you could... You could um, you can have different offers basically for the two and be clear with the other side which one they're getting in. Or maybe you can go into an offer with them for a year and then presume that within a year you'll be clear yeah. which way they want to go. Uh, and those two can have different terms. Like they can have different uh, contract ending terms, different pricing as well. Let's say if they're more committed to you, you can, you know, if they can demonstrate commitment, you can give them a, a better terms for them. Yes. This is this is, and that's that's why we we created the consulting uh, the consulting product because we were turning down offers that are actually good 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 work. It's transactional by nature. Mm -hmm. The client is not looking to work with us for two years, three years, five years. Mm -hmm. They just want something done now, and they uh, see the authority in us, and they want to work with us. And we're like, hey, let's make a six months deal. We're going, and we we, we start selling something that the client does not want. The client wants, hey, please fix this, please fix this, just mm -hmm. this. Well, it's two days, please. I, I think it's. You could look at, you could, I mean, I don't know your industry mm -hmm. well, and I don't know selling services well. Um, but it's important to know that you could look at uh, transactional opportunities as a gateway to partnership. Like if you do a great job with transactional opportunities, mm -hmm. I presume you've had cases where they say, right, well, two years from now, well, actually now we have a different problem. Can you help with this as well? And it ends up being a partnership. So... <laughs> It kind of makes sense for those to be less profitable, yeah. Because you could see them as a as a business development exercise. 
great transition. <laughs> I was going to ask about business development. <laughs> and by the way, we have this internal diagram where we have like the flow, the flow, we, we, we call it the business development diagram, the flow of uh, new business. And at the end is what we call the sweet spot, which, uh, which is long-term partnerships, long-term support, things where we have established uh, a, a good relationship and we are working uh, towards a certain goal. In the middle is something that we call the grind. And all those things that start as a transactional relationship and are short-term and short-spanned are always in the grind. Uh, and what we're trying to do is to see if we can uh, either turn something from the grind towards the sweet spot or build a good enough relationship while we're working with a client so that client then returns to us with something else. And this has been, at least for us, again, we are tech guys. We we had zero knowledge and zero intuition about sales, like zero. We were really, 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 really bad at this, like extremely bad. True. Um, this was quite quite the eye-opener because then you, re you realize, hey, not everything needs to be transactional. Not everything needs to be a long-term partnership. And you just have to be open to a lot of opportunities. And you you need to if someone wants to give you money, and it's not for like illegal stuff and and bad things, you should find a way to take to take that money or redirect the client to someone who can uh, bring value uh, to to them. And uh, this actually helped us um, remain in business. <laughs> Let's put it like this. I can imagine. And there's um. I'm fortunate to work with some amazing leaders at Ampeco, um, and uh, my manager is one of the most knowledgeable, I would say, people about sales in Bulgaria. Um, and one of the things I've learned from him is um, that you need to, especially in the early days mm. of a business uh, or in any growth stages of a business, you need to make yourself available. You, know, you might not uh, necessarily... Uh, straight away see how you can benefit from a certain partnership mm. but uh, if you see that there might be some ways or if you know that this is the right place to be this is the right um, segment where I need to impress this is where people need to be talking about you know how good I am uh, you need to be there you need to be even doing work that's not very profitable in the mm. beginning mm. but uh, you need to be you know creating your name you need to be educating the right people in your industry about how good you are especially if you're looking at the longer-term game. Because mm -hmm. we have clients, for example, that eight years ago we had something really small with them and now the same person is working in a different company, in a third company, and he yeah. refers us and it turns out something big. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about uh, charge point operators mm -hmm. um, and, and this is why as a company to date we still, um, we still service both large enterprises but also companies that are starting out. Because we've seen how in a new industry, a lot of the successful people uh, are literally no one today. Like, uh, are nobody today. Like, they might be just starting out, but if they're good at what they're doing, um, they were able to build a large business and, and so a big partnership with us. So you need to be uh, open. You need to be supporting everyone who needs your support uh, and really be, you know, giving more than you take, especially in the early days of those growth stages.
I'm really happy that you're saying this because uh, most of the times when, when people hear sales, they uh, associate it with arrogance and like, being the tough uh, yeah. guy on the private jet. I'll turn 100 million in, <laughs> in, in 1 billion for this Instagram reel so you can buy my course. But we are uh, steering in the wrong direction. Ivo, when you hear the term business development, how do you make sense of it? Someone that develops the business. Well, <laughs> it's good that we have a guest that can explain things. <laughs> Toshko, can you help us with that? Well, biz- right. Well, we spoke about what sales is, right? The, the process from understanding someone might be interested in working with you to um, signing the deal with them. Um, business development is um, m- more of a long-term endeavor. It's not really about a st- a strict process, but it's more about what we just discussed, you know, building the right relationships with the right people who uh, can become strategic partners now or or, or tomorrow. Uh, so it's about nurturing those relationships, you know, understanding well where you can help them, but also understanding where, you know, they could be of help for you. So I don't know much about the business you, you do, but for example, mm. I think that how close you stay to the, to the Django community how much you contribute back to it, uh, I think this can be seen as a as a business development effort. That's an interesting take. We never saw this as a business development. I still think that this is not actually business development, uh, even though uh, our engagement with the Django community has brought us a lot of business. Uh, but actually, if you if you're what I'm hearing is you're not aiming to close a deal when you're doing business development. You're not aiming to sell anything. You're not going with this intention. Well, the ultimate intention is to sell business, but uh, the se- the business development process, um, maybe the success of the business development process is not closing a deal, but it's creating the opportunity so that the salesperson, there we go. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> so that the salesperson can take it from there. Yeah. Um, Business develop. Let's say you work a lot with startups, for example. Mm, where, yeah. where do you find those startups? <laughs> Usually, so how, how we how we how we find new business right now is almost exclusively exclusively by referrals. Right. Like this is this is how we find new business. Very rarely we go and knock on doors or go to events and then. We, we have done this, we have closed businesses, but the ones that are actually working for us come from a referral because they come really, really warm. Right, like so someone, is, it, yeah. is it referrals by existing customers? Yes. Is Ref- it sometimes referrals by people who are not your customers? Sometimes. We have like people we've worked with somehow and they refer out like, yes. for example, people from the courses, people from the conference, people from yes. like friends. From our extended network, but it's still people that we know through the things that we have been doing over the years. Okay, so it it's mostly people you've, you've worked with. Yeah. Um, well, with business development is the idea that you can create those partnerships where <clears throat> um, you will be recommended by someone in the industry. Mm. Um, it's good for them to recommend you because they know you're the best option. So by recommending you, they'll be helping out their, you know, their, their friend. Um, but it's also great for you because this, you know, partnership brings you new business. 
Uh, so in the charge point management uh, mm. scenario that mm. we discussed, we, we mentioned at the very start that it might be us recommending hardware suppliers okay. or the hardware suppliers might okay, be recommending us. So this is a typical, uh, typical example. We have, of course, interest in recommending the best hardware, mm. but you know, out of 50 suppliers, there might be five that we are, we're happy to build a good relationship with because we can bring business to them, they can bring business to us. All right, so it's safe to say that business development comes before sales and it can generate interests and leads and demands and then sales takes over and at a certain point pre-sales takes over. Am I am I correct on this? Yes, so pre-sales steps in to handle the complexity of the sales process. All right. It's not necessary. Not every not every buyer will want a heavy process. Some mm. people will will you know, especially if you're in the early days, you have the financing, you have the team, you have fewer decision makers, you have fewer stakeholders. Right. It's kind of easy to figure out what you need. Uh, and also as a small company, you don't have a lot of the baggage that a big company is, is bringing, like a lot of the risk management they need to do. All right, so we have business development, sales, pre-sales. Mm -hmm. Pre-sales is, as you said, it's optional if uh, the client is, for example, not, not, not an enterprise. And then you have solutions consulting, which is your job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's kind of pre-sales. So pre-sales, think of it as, um, it really depends on the company, on on what they're selling, and also what is their philosophy, mm. philosophy to selling. Uh, but pre-sales can be non-technical or technical. All right. Depending on the company product and so on. Um, solution Consulting is our non-technical pre-sales team. Okay. Uh, we also have a technical pre-sales team, which is technical architecture consulting. So the, so the team I lead is non-technical. We can step in right. with really good understanding of the industry, each one of the use cases, each one of the business models, so we can unpack the customer's needs in depth. Uh, we can also map it to the product because we understand the product in a lot of detail. Um, so we can say, right, well, this problem you solve with this and this and that feature, and actually when you combine tariffs like this and electricity mm. costs like this, you can achieve this more complex all model right, to, right, to, right. to offer your services to the market. Technical architecture consulting or our technical pre-sales uh, steps in in conversations where a customer wants to build own interfaces, for example. So they advise on the use of our API, on how that would be set up architecturally, or if you want to have a single sign-on solution, mm. how does the data flow between the different components. Oh, and those are the so-called sales engineers. Yes, yeah, so sales engineering is, um, yeah, exactly, mm. is the short answer. Mm. But sales engineers are a uh, uh, typical pre-sales example. Uh, and in some companies, the the pre-sales team would be called sales engineering. All right, so it's... The ones that have more technical pre-sales. Yeah, it's safe to assume that you, as, as a solutions consult consultant which is uh, non-technical pre-sales, you already have a pipeline of clients that you are working towards closing a bigger deal. Um, yes, but it's more like the sales team has those, has the pipeline. And, and you have the sales we, team. We have them in every step of the process, especially when it's a more complex purchasing process. But you are communicating uh, daily with the client. Right, but we don't own the relationship. So it's the salesperson who whose role is to create a really good relationship uh, and and you know communicate with that customer quite often the salesperson is the is the point of contact within the company right. uh, we also have to create a good relationship we have to create uh, the right relationship with the guys who are testing the product for example guys who want to have a, 
a feeling of the platform, but also the support they can get in the process. Okay, okay. I think I, I think I finally have a good map in my my head. If I am the sales at Ampeco, and you are the client who wants to build a like really big network of EV charging stations, and we've already established a relationship, what I'm going to say at a certain point is, hey, I'm gonna get you in touch with Todor. He's uh, he's on our pre-sales team. He's crazy good, and he will be able to talk with you in more details about the electricity cost, about some of the problems that you have, about how to map better uh, with our solutions. Uh, and just don't, don't worry, he's super good. So this is kind of the dynamic uh, that, that we're going to have. This, this, is, this is interesting. And if I have some technical questions for example hey does your api support uh, json blah blah something mm. uh, i ask you and you refer to the technical guys or it's i would say it's a blurred line i mean m many of those questions we can answer ourselves uh, okay. so even though it's a non-technical pre-sales team mm. it's not a clear line right it needs to be somewhat blurred so we can talk about the basics about you know uh, basics around the technology we use or you know the strengths of the architecture we have but it really depends on who we are talking to about this and what is the level of depth right so if they need to to know how to make specific api calls and why a certain way is better than another it needs to be the technical guys who who advise them on the okay. best practices if you are the big uh, big business guy who's going to be be building uh, a network of EV charging stations, you would most probably say, "Hey, I have uh, this company here, Hacksoft. They will do the implementation on my end." So, you, you you talk with them. Most probably. Most probably. Yeah, correct. That happens a lot. So we have, I mentioned, we aim to to be the platform of EV charging, mm. um, allowing because if you want to have your own application, it's great to start with a wide level application, but actually. If you want to differentiate, you mm. need to build your own thing. Yeah, um, and this is why we we are very open. So everything in the product is exposed. So customers often build their own interfaces, mm. and the technical team that I mentioned is advising them or advising the third parties that develop those interfaces and and you know how to use the API or what are the best practices, what other customers have achieved. All right, I finally understood those uh, terms. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> For pre-sales and sales and... Uh... I have some questions. Mm. Yeah. So when it comes to actually closing the deal, you mm. mentioned contracts and I right. guess the somewhere in this chain, at the end, there is a person that is capable of figuring out the contract, the actual billing, the price, you know, all of these things. Is this still part of the sales or is it somewhere else? Yeah, so before contract, there's the commercials. That's in our organization. This is handled through the salesperson. They okay. need to negotiate the right terms that work for everyone. But then you go into contract terms. Mm. Uh, this is uh, this is where I step in. So I lead those discussion on Ampeco's end, uh, and it's not really related that much to pre-sales. It's more about that I've been with the organization for a while and I understand the way we want to do sales and and why we have something in the contract. Mm. I suppose the way where pre-sales can be relevant to contracts is to provide feedback to the customer <clears throat> sorry provide feedback to the customer about why something is there in terms of understanding why our solution works in this way so this is why we have yeah. the contract or the SLA for example set mm -hmm. up in this way um, but uh, overall responsibility for the contracts is me because I've been with the organization for a while and I understand our sales process and what we want to offer okay 
because every time I hear contracts, I just mm. imagine lawyers that are doing, you know, fuzzy wording on paper. Well, <laughs> if you think about it, um, contract negotiation is a sales process on its yeah. own. It is. So um, it's really a matter of understanding the domain. So like uh, in this case, it's the different terms and, and conditions and what could be their effect, what are the risks associated with each, what level of flexibility can each one of those offer to the customer. Uh, and then really knowing which ones we can be flexible with and which ones we need to maintain. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about understanding the needs of different stakeholders on the customer side, but also on our side. So for example, we have we have finance team who want mm. certain terms to remain. We have support teams who want the SLA to stay okay. a certain way. And we have investors who will care about certain KPIs. So some frame of the contract will need to stay the same way. All right. Yeah, that's why that's why you need a bigger team. And now I understand why um, companies like Ampeco have bigger sales in general and pre-sales teams because you you cannot handle this as just just the CEO or just a single salesperson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Person, you, you really cannot handle. You, you can handle this as a, with one client, but when you have a hundred clients, then you, you need a team of capable folks who can run the entire thing because this generates you know, money and this makes the investors happy. And it's important too. Have happy investors. Also, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> Not always, but <laughs> you mentioned a lot of different roles mm. that we all basically call sales sales roles, um, which makes sense for for a bigger company that's trying to close like enterprise enterprise mm. clients. Mm. Is it true that if you are a smaller company and you have like two salespeople that do all of this, you have absolutely no chance to to close a big tender? Um, first of all, it is true that if you're a smaller sales team, you need to be doing all of mm -hmm. this. And this is how I got exposed to all of it. Um, and it is true that if you're a small company, you have no chance of winning a big tender. Mm. But it's not because you don't have the people. Okay. It's more about because you don't have the credibility. Mm -hmm. So large organizations, the main thing they care about is risk. Mm. Um, which means you might have better product, you might have better support, you might be you have you might have better talent, but uh, if you don't already work with other large organizations, uh, it you just appear more risky. Mm. Like so, so, so big buyers are willing to buy something that's you know seventy percent as good, but uh, you know thirty forty percent more more reliable, less risky. And this explains why, for example, in our industry, like the service, Bulgaria is a service-oriented software industry mm -hmm. with few product companies here and there. Uh, that's, this explains why in our industry, everyone aims to grow big. Yeah. Uh, because first, this gives you better margins and more profit, but then second, you can start working with bigger enterprises, which can give you, like, more stable business but for us 35 people we have zero chance of winning a big enterprise client right now and that's why we're working with uh smaller companies startups and somehow we found found a niche of actually businesses that make money and we take care of everything that's software related for them like this is for uh, if you open our ideal customer profile we, we have such document. Um, this is what we describe. We work best with companies that give us everything about their software and IT, and we run it for them. 
And mm -hmm. this, those are our best clients and our best relationships. So I think this is. Uh, But out, I don't know how. Staffing. <laughs> no, Based on your no it's not out. Outstaffing would be outstaffing would be if we are working with a bigger enterprise and they have gaps in their internal teams and mm -hmm. they need to fill those gaps and we just give them the, the human resources not 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 always the whole team but rather here are five folks that are going to fill your five gaps for back end front end and, and QA mm -hmm. and those five folks although they are working at Hacksoft when they are working with the client where they have been outstaffed they will most probably be working in five different teams uh, with like different people like this is the team augmentation model and we had an entire episode with Timo go watch it we, where we explained all of this it's good what we do best is when the team is internal here at Hacksoft and the team is led by someone at Hacksoft we mm -hmm. call them uh, technical team leads but they also do quite a lot of product management and product mm -hmm. ownership and they are the point of communication with the client like the client knows they they keep the relationship with the client they kind of act like the, like an account manager also. And the client knows that whenever they need something, be it they're developing a product or they need they have a suite of products that need support and additional feature development, they know who to contact. And those are the clients that we build products with them. And also, for example, set up Google Workspace or set up some kind of an ERP system or uh, they have problems with their Outlook. They know that they can pick up the phone and someone will help them with their IT and software. Like this is, and it's really hard for me to describe it uh, unless I go into way more details and it's really hard for us to find such clients uh, because those are the best clients where we have the most agency because then we like to uh, push them in a direction that generates revenue for them. Like this is something that we've been doing Uh, since the last year it's also been an eye-opener it's not about the software development but rather where you bring value and what can you do that will bring more revenue to that client and of course there are clients where you uh, fill gaps like this is the majority of the business to be honest uh, because it leverages the arbitrage of uh, salaries and prices But then again, there are clients that want to work with you because they can rely not only on your expertise, but also the incentives are aligned that their success means that we need to be doing things in a certain way and not just focus on the pure coding and software development, but rather uh, give them a more holistic approach over the entire IT and software and product thing that they're building. That, that was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Um So, this is your ideal type of customer. And yeah. What What about if if we think of you know small companies and, and large enterprises? What's in between? Maybe you know mid-sized companies. Have you had experience with those? And why are they not your best customer? Mid-size is uh, like above 50 people. I don't know what's small in in your case. What What are the typical customers? Most of them are under, I think, 50 people. Under 50 people. Under 50 people most are of most of the Right, most so if a company is, let's say, 200 to 2,000 employees, I'm, I'm interested in why it wouldn't work for them, but it will work for small companies. It will work for them, and uh, 
perhaps most recently we, we are trying to be as you as you mentioned in the beginning open and flexible mm-hmm. uh the thing is they have certain processes in place and they're looking to for someone to fit in those processes and uh for some time we were not the best pick if you want someone to fit within those processes what we learned over time is uh once you fit in, the, in those processes once you gain trust you can start bringing the hacks of magic and making things work better for them but what we were lacking is the initial hey just just trust us like the some some part of our sales process is hey just trust us and here are some case studies to prove our point but just trust us uh what we're trying to do right now and this is the grind is um do what the industry is doing and build trust by following the processes of other companies until we get to a point where we can start bringing uh more value than just doing the actual work and being proactive yeah that makes sense um i guess what i'm getting at is I wouldn't say that you have zero chance of selling to to a big company if if you are 35 people. It would depend a lot on how those 35 people are organized. Um because if they are uh you know a team lead who acts as the account manager and five people who deliver uh it's it's like you have five companies of six people. Um I suppose yeah. if if yes. more about the organization is set up to to handle the different needs of different stakeholders in large enterprises so let's say there's someone who's you know focusing more on security there's someone who's focusing more on more complex architectural work um or someone who's focusing more on you know interfaces I suppose if you set up the organization in in ways that address large enterprises needs better uh you might have a better a way of winning them but ultimately it's about the risk is what you mm-hmm. mentioned to to those guys you need to demonstrate that you work with similar companies yeah um and maybe you have for example small companies that you've worked with that have achieved success and built a name for them so those are the kind of case studies you want to put out they will already be perceived by mid-size and this is how you can go after mid-size for example this is this is what I'm trying to do and we can make a break after this yeah. but i think what other uh there said that the way we, that we structure our companies we have six different companies with five people in them because we're working with different clients mm-hmm. and it's like adult ad- addressing totally different needs if you want to focus towards enterprise you need to build your company in such a way that uh whenever the enterprise has a need you can directly address mm-hmm. it you already have it internally you don't have to start with hey let's start a team from scratch Awesome. Yeah. Good. Let's make a break. Break. According to the YouTube analytics, huge percentage of you are not subscribed to our channel. So if you like our content, please subscribe. We are aiming at 2500 subscribers and at the point we reach them, we are going to do a giveaway. We still don't know what we are going to give away, but if you have any good suggestions, please put them in the comments below. Kwapa i butala. Yes. And we're back after the break and uh what we were discussing uh, before before the break is to 
follow up with some of the terms and then go into enterprise sales. And just to summarize, we talked about what is sales, what is pre-sales, what is business development, what is solutions consulting, what is sales engineering, and we have customer success and account manager, uh, which would be great if we can also uh, put a couple of words behind those terms, and then we can dive into enterprise sales more. I think we've, we have been hovering over this topic uh, so far, but we can go into more detail. And for me, customer success is an enigma. Like This is like a relatively new term, and I have no idea what it is. Oh, for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, well, those terms actually, account manager and customer success, <clears throat> I would say they can vary a lot in different organizations. It really, at the end of the day, it really depends on what they imagine in the specific context with this role. Uh, but generally speaking, I can talk about our case. Uh, solution um, customer success people are the ones who I don't want to say act as a project manager of the delivery, but they're ultimately the main point of contact, and, okay. and they're responsible for the success of this project and this customer. This is mainly about the delivery of our product, configuring it to their needs, and so on. But also about you know advising on other opportunities we see that this customer might not be aware of, um, you know, being there for when they need a, a partnership in, in some area, like also, you know, maintaining um, mm. the communication with the other functions of the business that can actually uh, put this customer in touch with uh, the desired partner. Uh, but yeah, generally it's focused on delivery and making sure delivery is successful and this customer is ultimately successful with what we're delivering to them. So you mentioned that the sales keeps the relationship with the customer, but you also mentioned that the customer success is the main point of contact for, for, for the client. Right. So post sales. Post sales. So this is the main thing I need right. to, to All specify. Right. Yeah. Salesperson would be mainly post sales. Then if you have enterprise sales or bi business to business, but mm -hmm. mainly for enterprise sales, it makes sense that the salesperson is there after the sales process as mm -hmm. well, at least for some period. So, um, you know, so the so the customer doesn't feel like they're being handed over to someone yeah, else, exactly. uh, and also all of the discussions they had with the salesperson, they you know there's someone else right there in that same meeting who also remembers that discussion, yeah. <laughs> so they didn't oversell in any way. Um, but yeah, it's it's important for those more complex deals to make sure there's a continuation of the process. But generally speaking, after the sale, is the customer success who owns the project. Okay, and. In some ways, we can say this is also the account manager. Yeah, so account manager is a term that can, uh, I would say it generally includes two things. One is uh, sales, after the sales has been done. So this is upsell and okay. cross-sale. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing is relationship management. Um, and which one of those two is, is more important? Which one is a bigger part of the mix? Uh, it really depends on the type of organization and what it's selling. So, for example, for the organizations where uh, most of what you could sell happens at one point and then there isn't a lot of opportunity for mm -hmm. upsell or cross-sell, account manager will be person mainly responsible for relationship management, um, mainly acting as an escalation point if something's not right with the customer success manager and how they're handling things, uh, and also you know understanding, again, customer needs advising on opportunities, uh, but mainly relationship management. Okay. There's also organizations that call their main salespeople 
uh, account managers. Mm. And this is because a lot of the sales is actually completed after the first sale. So this is where you have to do a, a lot of renewals, for example. Okay. Um, yeah, or, or, it, or there is a, a lot of opportunity of, for upsell mm. and cross-sell. Okay, okay, okay. Makes sense. I think this makes sense. So basically, this is this is the person whose phone is ringing when there is a problem, or the client or the customer wants to ask something, or this is the customer success. Well, it really depends on it what depends kind on of the problem yeah, it is, yeah. and maybe if it has been handled well, it might not reach the account manager. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but if it's a big problem, yeah, for sure, they need to be aware and they need to be, you know, pulling together the resources of the company to be able to address this customer's need. Got it. I think I, I think I made sense of customer success and account management, and this kind of pushes us towards enterprise selling. And you have a lot of experience there, so let's go there. Right. Well, enterprise sales. If we think of um, different types of sales, you have B two C business to consumer. You have B two B, which is a very general term. Because business to business can mean selling to uh, small companies mm. like micro, small, and medium-sized businesses, mm -hmm. uh, and enterprise sales is at the other spectrum, at uh, uh, the other side of uh, the spectrum. It's really large organizations that have complex buying processes. They have a lot of stakeholders involved. Mm. So what's typical for enterprise sales is, first of all, you have bigger deals. Yeah. Okay. So this is. Uh, it, it's complex to sell to those guys. It takes a lot of time. Um, so it needs to be for the right amount, right? And, and you need to be you know, willing to invest that much into that mm -hmm. sales process only if it's a big deal. Uh, so first thing that's typical is that it's large deals. Second thing that's typical is that they take a while. Um, you know, In my experience, this has been between six months if it's really quick, but it can go to like... Typical would be like a year, but wow. it could be a year and a half, two years. Uh, and it, there's a good reason for it. They, they start with scanning the market and every player on the market. So, for example, in our niche, we just want a very large energy company in Europe as a customer. They said they they reviewed 33 uh, platform providers like wow. ours in the beginning. Wow. Yeah. So from 33, you narrow it down to like five. But n that narrowing down process mm. is, is a tender, right? It's first stage of the tender. A lot of questions about capabilities, about the company, about ability to deliver, and so on. And then within two or three months, you arrive at the next phase. Uh, next phase is, you know, the five key providers. It's much more about the more complex to solve challenges, mm. how you would go about them, more about the relationship. So one thing that's very typical for enterprise sales is the relationship. Those guys are not just looking to uh, try out your product. Okay. They want to try out your relationship management. They want to see within a few months how close can we be, like how well you answer my emails, how supportive you are. So at the pre-sales team, we need to offer a demo of the support as well, not okay. just the product. Yeah. So what, what, when you know you're one of those five and it's, a, it's time to uh, strengthen this relationship, uh, I suppose you are quite proactive, uh, and uh, by you I mean the, the entire company to fly and get to the client, meet in person, and start talking in person. I, I think this is quite important. 
Yeah, actually, we got quite lucky with uh, COVID because COVID put everyone at a level playing field. All right. So this is how we were able to win customers abroad. But um, now everything is already returned to normal. So you do need to be present. You do. We already know some of those people personally because we we've been doing a good job over the last years and and meeting everyone and building a name for ourselves. But also, wh- whenever we don't know them or we don't know the specifics of the project, we will definitely aim to fly there, yeah. um, have a short conversation, show that we are willing to invest in this partnership and that we want to understand their needs and their concerns in in a lot of depth. Mm. Okay, so yeah, flying there is important, um, but yeah, this is this is the general structure of those larger processes. Yeah. Quite often, they have months of delays because, you know, as the company assesses the available option, they start thinking about their strategy as well. What do they want to buy? Like, one of one of those options is is well established, but it's kind of a competitor to mine as well in some ways, or it's owned by a competitor. And another option is amazing product, but not that well established on the market Mm. and so on. So you have to think about what you want to buy. Uh, And sometimes it's not a simple answer where you have like 10 10 people making the the buying decision. Got it. And uh, just a quick note to our listeners. If you are um, considering starting a company or doing a startup that's aimed at enterprise, and what uh, Todor right now is saying sounds uh, like strange and odd, like for to us, for example. Uh, I I hope you find value in this podcast because this is this is the 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 general idea. If you want to go there, you have to be doing those things that Todor is saying. And he he mentioned something really important to us uh, while we were having the break that we are reinventing the wheel of uh, doing sales and business development for mm-hmm. Hacksaw because we're. Tech guys and tech guys. little by little, by tr- basically by trial and error, like exactly. through tech guys, we uh, got somewhere. Uh, so sometimes it's a good idea to listen to folks who have been doing this and uh, do not reinvent the always like always the wheel. Yeah. And relationship like you're you're top five, you're considered, and h- how do you end up from being top five to being the one? That's a million-dollar question, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say at the core, of, so consultative approach to sales is important. I would say in any business-to-business sales, but for enterprise, it's it's the only way to go about it. Yeah. It's super important. So to win a customer, you need to show the deepest understanding of their needs, um, but also show flexibility on your end to be able to accommodate those needs. Um, and to be able to un- to do it, to understand in depth, y- you need those touch points. You mm. need to have a good relationship. You need to make sure they, o- they open up. Um, you need to make sure you can understand everything that's not been working well so far or why they might prefer to go, go with someone else and what kind of company they're looking for. You need to figure out the right way to tick those boxes, if mm. you like. Um, to win enterprise customers, you need to have a good understanding of enterprise sales process. You need to uh, be selling to the right people. Mm-hmm. So, for example, with enterprise sales, you have more complex setups where you have different roles on, in the buying process. You have um, champions, usually, are the people who you know um, want are, are more open to listening to you and, and people who you're targeting 
to sell to initially so they can start selling you within their own organization. But they're usually not the decision maker. Decision maker is usually someone else and you might not get to talk to them at all. Mm -hmm. This is where it can get very tricky. Those are the two main things. There's a lot of other roles like uh, gatekeepers, Mm -hmm. like uh, other... Uh, other stakeholders that would play a role in that sales process, but those are the main dynamics you're, you're aiming to manage. So, so you're saying that you can get a yes or a no without ever meeting the decision maker that gave the final yes or a no? Uh, it might be the case that you meet them, but let's say you have 20 meetings with the champion and you have one meeting with that person just to see you in oh, person okay. and validate you're a real person, you know, and get a feeling <laughs> for you. Okay. Um, well, Really what happens is And the how much weight a champion can have in the decision making would vary based on the organization and on their culture, like how willing they are to trust, you know, the operational person with the biggest point that we're we're solving. Because um, it might be a new organization, and most of the knowledge is held in management, so management wants to mm. you know leverage their experience and, and relationships to make that decision. So. Part of underst- uh, part of selling to to large enterprises is understanding how they'll make a decision. You know. Okay. Okay. What that's, is that's their important. What is the their organizational culture? Who will make the decision? Uh, who else needs to be satisfied? Who else you need to care about, and who you shouldn't really care about because you can't, uh, you know, focus on answering in great detail to everyone. Hmm. Well, that's. We we had a similar experience with one of our previous clients back in the years where we knew who the decision maker is, mm-hmm. but we could not talk to that person ever at all. At all, we knew that this person's making the the, the decisions and making the calls. We wanted to uh, make our case and make our point, but every time we try uh, speaking with that person, that person was, oh, those are technical uh, topics. Please speak with this particular other person at our company that deals with technical topics. And this particular other person, he like hated it, hated us, really. Okay. And uh, this uh, blew up the relationship. And at the end of the day, the final decision is taken by the, the other person. The other person, yeah. N- not the technical one, but the... But how we are presented, we, we never got the chance to present ourselves. So our champion was not the right one, probably. I don't know. <laughs> He was anti-champion. Anti-champion. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just again to, to map to our experience. And this, is, this can be really, really frustrating. And what we could have done better, I think, and this is, again, something that Todor said once you are in top five or once you are actually being considered as a provider of something, you need to uh, get in person, like fly to, to the client, get there. This is something that we re- just realized last year mm-hmm. uh, because we were, wh- why should I fly to the States when we can make a Zoom call, which is uh, for all of you folks trying to make some kind of business, this is extremely wrong <laughs> You you need to get there, and this is what we should have done. Yep, get on the plane, get there, overcome the person that didn't like us because he was in another geographical area, and just go talk to the real decision maker. And we didn't mention anything about product. I think in order to to be a good sales, you need to have a good product, right? And is it easier when the product is good? Is it does it matter at all when you are selling a software solution to be an actual good software solution? And I imagine that 
um, enterprise companies they have a lot of needs so the product needs to be really mature stable and just working without any problems because otherwise it would be really hard to sell it yeah absolutely i mean <clears throat> a good product is uh is is where you start like okay. at, at the very least you need to have a good product to to be able to sell to those large companies um and when we say good product it's not just about the product's capabilities, but it's about product's features as well, like mm -hmm. uh, how flexible it is, like how easy it is to integrate it with my other solutions, yeah. let's say the ERP CRM that mm -hmm. I already mm -hmm. have, um, how um, how secure that product is. Oh. So large organizations care a lot about security. Okay. This is this is one of the main things between, main differentiators between mm -hmm. small and big enterprises. They have very strict policies um, they, you know, thinking of GDPR, actually, the GDPR fines are based on your income. So mm. a large company, All right. it's easy for a large company company to invest more into having a security team yes. because it's easily justified with the risk of having to pay those large fines for, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to the European regulators. So security is, is an important topic and to sell well to large enterprises, you do need also the organizational structure to enable it, like a security officer, data privacy officer, the people who can answer those questions in depth. Uh, but also the good thing in security is um, you can easily tick some boxes because there's certificates, there's mm, audits yeah. as well. Uh, so once you do the job, it's, it's kind of scalable. You can share that certificate and uh, many customers will end the conversation there. And that's, again, risk management. That's why we cannot sell to enterprises. Mm -hmm. We have zero certificates because yeah. we kind of think uh, about them as time wasters. But if you get to doing business, they're extremely important. And Evo's question is, this was spot on because we never really talked about the product up yeah. to this point. Yeah. We were talking about the, the sales process, the business development process, the relationship with the client. And I think this ties really well to what we said in the last episode with Timo. We are on the end of the product and the software development. And sometimes or most of the times we don't really matter. And in a recession, we are just a cost that they want to cut. Because as you see, you you need to have a good product. But I think that th this is an assumption that I'm going to make. If you close a deal with a big enterprise, even if you don't have a good product, they will make sure you will have a good product. It's kind of it's going to be part of the deal or otherwise you, you're going to get sued or the, 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 the contract is going to be terminated. So even if you don't have a good product, if you are open enough and flexible enough in order to close this big client, you will get a good, good, good product. This is an assumption that I'm making right now. Yeah, I guess I guess they can give you some time to fix some gaps that are, mm -hmm. you know, sort of secondary. But if you're a, if you're a, you know, looking from the product company perspective, mm -hmm. uh, you're you're aiming at servicing multiple large enterprises. So something they really care about is how much of your attention they can get. Like how much of your capacity to develop can be uh, based on my needs. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, this is why it, it will never be a perfect answer for them, right? They, they're buying a product off the shelf. The best thing you can do is to make sure this product is very customizable. Mm. Um, but you'll never be able to say, right, I'll be a development studio for you and all your needs. Mm -hmm. uh, this is why they would generally really care about having a product that's somewhat complete already, or at least, you know, complete for the current state of, of their needs. All right.
Speaking about recessions and pandemics, how do you find the market in the last six months, let's say? Is it different? Is it different in the enterprise sector too? Mm. Is it different in uh, industry that's growing really fast and mm -hmm. you know the, 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 the EV thing is getting really big and it's going to get bigger and bigger for sure. Mm -hmm. how, how do you find the market for the last six months? Well, in the last six months, um, we definitely see the effects of more expensive capital. Okay. So uh, a lot of our customers are either startups or corporate startups. Um, that are you know some of them are backed by VCs by large investment funds. Um, so for them, it's it's more difficult to get or more expensive to get capital. What this results in is um, less companies get financing mm. and just the better ones get financing. So some of the companies we're talking to, you know, maybe less of our prospects now have a few million of investment than they did like a year ago. But some of the prospects we're talking to now have 100, 200, 300, 400 million of investment. Uh, if, you know, you could tell that the venture capital is focused on mm. the winners. Uh, and we also see more consolidation, okay? We see more uh, more of the leaders buying, you know, the seven best operator in the country, for example. Uh, because some companies start struggling. This mm. is still a, a cash-burning business. This is still a land grab. They are still focused on um, gaining market, gaining users, and getting the right locations for their stations. Um, so not everyone uh, can survive those, you know, more difficult days. So what happens is the ones who have who are doing things right and they receive good investment for that, they're able to buy, you know, the tenth biggest player in their country. All right. All right. So part of what we need to be doing strategically is to be betting on the winners mm. as well, making sure we service really well uh, the ones who will be the winners in, in a market that's consolidating. But it's not like you are feeling the recession uh, in a way that there are not enough sales and not enough business opportunities, but rather you need to be more smart about where you invest your time and energy. I, I think we feel some of it, mm. Uh, but it's not it's not hugely dramatic um, we do I mean since it's a very young industry that's so mm -hmm. that's developing so quickly uh, my take will not be a good overview of you know uh, the markets right because there's okay. a lot of okay. specifics okay. in my case so w we see things changing in our industry every six months mm -hmm. for the last few years uh, and right now that they've changed in a certain way, but honestly, I know that in six months it can look completely different. All right, all right, all right. So uh, actually, what do yeah. you guys see from your perspective? Uh, what, for us, it's like? really like uh, it's been a struggle. Uh, we again discussed this in greater details in the last episode with Timo. Uh, but uh, the first two quarters last year were great, mm -hmm. and then suddenly, like somebody flipped the switch and, and things started deteriorating from. Uh, companies not uh, raising uh, capital uh, to uh, closing deals and companies not paying the, their invoices to uh, basically the prices being pushed down from uh, a lot of a lot of other software development uh, studio studios being without uh, work and also taking into account the AI factor that we have. Mm -hmm. I think we are feeling 
the AI the most right now, the, the, the software development industry. Uh, and the last two quarters were really uh, hard, I would say. Uh, so definitely it feels like a recession in Europe and in the States, not really a recession, but rather people are holding on their money uh, because they can make more money if they just uh, put them in the bank and with high interest rates rather than doing risky startup investments. So definitely, and in, I think in Bulgaria, because we are service oriented and we are one of the first expenses that are being cut, uh, everyone feels that. Like there there are layoffs going around. Uh, it's not as public as mm-hmm. in the States. Like in the States, they want to make everything like a show. <laughs> Uh, but there, there are layoffs going around, and uh, we we've been actively thinking how to, what to do, and how to position ourselves so we are more resilient when there is a recession, or we are just in the runway management business. Like this is some something that someone said to us: Hey, you are in the runway management business. All that matters is the runway that you have. Nothing else matters when you are doing a service a software service company. So yeah, we are definitely feeling it uh, last two quarters. And I think this year is also going to be a better year. Like no growth, just just try to survive. And, and do you, you mentioned it's different in the U.S. Because a lot of the things I see is it happens in the U.S. It takes a while to get to Europe mm-hmm. and yeah. it takes another while to get to Bulgaria. So has that been your experience as well? Because you mentioned uh, the U.S. It might not be as slow, but maybe they're buying more carefully now. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so the layoffs that were happening in the U.S. for the last year, year and two, are right now coming here. And I think we are going to see publicly available layoffs in the Bulgarian IT industry in the coming months. And we're just feeling the effect later. And we no, no nobody knows. You know, it's like a very everyone's waiting for November 2024. Everybody's waiting for who the next president of the United States of America is going to be. And I think based on that, things will either be resolved or resolved. We'll see in which direction they're going to be resolved. But yeah, definitely. I have a side question. <laughs> Go ahead. As a technical person working with a lot of startups, I've been in many like sales meetings where the salesperson is promising something that's not even started yet. Which now that you're saying that for enterprise it takes like two years to close the deal, starting to make sense. But is it like a common practice or is it just my experience or h- how does it work? Well, it's it's important to make sure um, you're, you're being honest. Mm-hmm. Because you want to be, you want to be honest. You don't want to mislead them, and you don't want to manage expectations wrongly. Uh, but it's also uh, very important to close the deal. <laughs> so it's it's a struggle between the two, uh, and a good um, I don't know salesperson. In other in our case, actually, me and my team do a bit of this in those tender processes. We're able to. Um, To decide where is the line, right? Mm. What we can promise and for when, um, and it takes understanding. It takes a wider understanding. It takes an understanding of the customer and their mm. need. Like, is this something that they will ask for from day one? Is this something that's fine to deliver at the phase two of the project? Mm. Uh, it also takes understanding of your own company, 
uh, actually how quickly we can mm-hmm. deliver this. Has this already been promised to another company? So I know it will be happening for sure. Or do I already know that this is something we're not interested in doing? So All I right. definitely cannot promise it. Mm. Um, so I would say the first phase, it takes someone from a sales, uh, with a sales context like us to be able to, um, you know, take the, the first line of questions uh, where it gets complex if it's a big development, mm. if it's something complex uh, in terms of development, if it takes a lot of resource, or if it's very urgent, if it's a must-have for a, for a period that's very soon from now. You also have to involve product team. It's part of the product team to be planning the development mm-hmm. of the product. Uh, and also, I imagine if you're a service company, you'll be part of uh, you know, the, the company's uh, portfolio to know what you can offer and what you cannot offer. Um, so, in short, the answer to that question is uh, you d- you don't want to lose customers because you're under-promising. Okay. Uh, it's probably better to over-promise a bit. Uh, you have to know where is the line, though, mm-hmm. uh, and that line uh, depends on a lot of variables. You need to understand the different variables well. Yeah, and that's, I, that's well said. Yeah, that's well said. And I guess... If you want to be transparent transparent enough, you can say we don't have it now, but we can deliver it for you in, let's say, six months, which makes sense because this deal is going to be closed in two, two years either ways. Right. So, yeah, usually when you have those kind of in-depth conversations, the deal will be closed in three to six months. Okay. So things that are, uh, you know you'll deliver in the next few weeks, you can mm-hmm. already say okay. you have them. Things that you know uh, you are kind of thinking of, um, but, uh, you know, given this customer needs it, you will be able to prioritize it. You can give a, you can also give a brief idea, mm-hmm. like I'll be able to deliver this in the second half of the year, okay. for example, okay. but not provide too many specifics. But everything starts with understanding what's needed mm-hmm. from the start, mm-hmm. you know, what is a must and what's a deal breaker. Uh, and what else would you like to see, you know, three months from then, six months from then, nine months from then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about... You know, everything, again, starts with the business need of the customer. And the rela- and expectation management and the relationship management. And you don't want to give headaches to your to your clients when you're trying to close a big deal, like saying, we don't have this, we don't have this, don't ask for this, don't ask for this. But rather, it's all like almost every answer, this is, again, an assumption on my end, it's like a partial yes. We have those capabilities, those capabilities are coming. Uh, as Toller said, you want to close the deal. And this is something that we also learned perhaps last year that you don't have to be totally honest about everything. Uh, sometimes you have to overpromise and then just deliver on your overpromise and every, every, everyone's happy. Especially when you know that you can deliver. Yeah. That, that's important. Yeah. Well, you definitely shouldn't promise something if you know that you cannot deliver. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be clear about that. <laughs> I mean, if you're sure that you can deliver it, I think it's totally fine to, to promise it. Uh, unless you want to have a career as a politician, then this, <laughs> this is this is essential. You, you have to be promising things that you know you cannot deliver because this keeps you in the in the game running. All right, my papers are a little wet, so so, so I can't <laughs> see the next questions that we have. So we have, uh, I think, uh, and again, very insightful. Uh, thank you for thank you for all of this. I have here a section before we go to the human side of things into AI. I have a section that's basically if you are to consult uh, a new newly starting business or start a business on your own 
and uh, the folks are going to ask you questions related to sales and business development. If you have to be, of course, more more general, but w what's important to you? What do you think is important to say to a newly starting business where the founders have no previous sales or business development experience? What would you say right. to them? Do, do you think that's a big part of your audience? I think, yes. I think uh, our audience would love to hear more details about, as we uh, were discussing so far about the doing sales, doing business development, mm -hmm. but if someone's just starting and wants to have a few sentences in their head, like a frame, like a direction to follow, mm -hmm. what would it be? Well, it would be a frame, as you, as mm -hmm. you explained. That frame would probably some, be something like a go-to-market strategy. Mm. Um, it would need to, you know, without going into the semantics of it and the terminology, you will need to know well who you want to sell to, like who can benefit from your services. Um, then you need to know what is the right way to reach those people, you know, when is the right way, where is the right way, mm. like how, how do they want to be talked to, like is it, uh, I want to, I need to be handing out the flyer to them or is it I need to be uh, to make sure I can have in-depth conversations with them where I can demonstrate something? Mm. Um, do they need to know about me from other channels so they can validate my position on the on the market and in this sector? Um, then it's important to to know how you're selling. Like it's important to have a good sales process that's managing to turn people who who you're who are interested in your services into people who are, you know, working with you. Um, and, you know, post sales, you also need to have the right people managing those relationships. You may, you want to make sure customers you've already sold to and you're able to, you know, not just uh, retain, but also benefit more mm -hmm. from, like, uh, you do a great job for them, so they bring you more business. Mm, the, the overall go-to-market strategy would have to include, you know, those... Uh, you know, sales processes, where you find those customers, how you help them, um, but also generally how you market yourself. You know, what are the tools, what are the channels you use? Mm. Hackcast, for example. Yes. Like, you might decide to make a podcast or you might decide to uh, focus in a certain niche, like a specific uh, language, like Django, for example, and you might decide that, right, I want to start giving back more to this community because I want this community to know me very well. I want to contribute to its development. This way I'll show expertise, but also this way I'll be perceived as an expert. So if someone really needs a good solution, will come talking to me. All right. And then uh, I am, let's say, one of those founders. You you just uh, given me a very good framework but I have no idea where to start. Okay, the, 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 like I need to do 10 things from mm. just what you just said. I need to do 10, 10 different things. Where do I start? Well, definitely start from and definitely in your first stages, invest all the time you can invest in talking to people. You need to be out there. You need to have as many conversations as possible because only then you'll be able to validate your assumptions. You need to understand what they need, you know, why... Uh, how they buy, like what they're looking for w uh, when they buy uh, services like yours. Mm -hmm. You need to get a lot of rejection so you can hear the reasons as well. Right? This will help steer you in the right direction. 
So as you grow, the most important thing I think is to validate assumptions, to develop your knowledge, to build out your relationships with with key people in the market, uh, and you know generally understand how this market works better, so you can be more successful in it. Thank you for this. I think like the most important advice: be open, talk to people, be a good person. Like don't be arrogant so, or all-knowing, and just. Let the let the people in the market guide you, and little by little you will find out why there is such a well structured sales process with different roles. Eventually, if you if you get there and if you start seeing the need for having a account managers, customer success, like even using a CRM, this is like the best learning experience is to say, oh. That's why those tools exist. That's uh, finally I understand it. Uh, right. Maybe to yeah. to refer to something we mentioned a bit earlier mm. today. In 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 any stage of growth, you need to be giving. You need to be giving a lot, uh, like providing to your community that you mentioned. Uh, you need to be helping out people a lot, mm. so they know you better, and they know uh, where you can add value. And maybe because of the value you added to them for free, mm. they're they're happy to bring you some business. Yes. So the only time you need to be transactional is when you're committing to your database. <laughs> that, this is I'll a very, that. very bad joke. I, I'm, I, I have something for bad jokes uh, for uh, in the last episode. I'll too. pretend I understand. <laughs> Do you use modern AI tools in your day-to-day job? Um, ChatGPT and all that jazz. Yeah. So. I wouldn't say I use it in my day-to-day job. I see colleagues who use it actually, mm-hmm. and I think it help it can help out in structuring things in um, in polishing language, for example, right. mm. uh, because we have Bulgarians se- selling to native speakers somewhere else. So you do need a bit of help with that in some cases, and I see colleagues who are a little bit less confident with the language using it, and it's helping them. Mm. So it makes sense. Um, I don't use it on a daily basis because I haven't really found uh, something. Maybe I haven't put in the effort, to be honest mm, with you. Mm. And I haven't found something that uh, it can be helpful with uh, right now. I do use it um, sometimes to structure my thoughts better. Mm. So maybe there's a topic that I underst- that I think I understand mm. and I think I have experience with, but... Um, Asking um, the uh, asking ChatGPT will help me structure the topic. Okay, and I think to understand something, you need to be able to structure it well, uh, and then you know give me ten bullets. I say right, let's group this mm. into five bullets that actually make sense. Mm-hmm. I'll look at them, and based on my experience and and the expertise I have, I would say I can actually think of another two or three bullets that are maybe even more important, mm-hmm. and will help me create the big picture. All right. Um, it will help me compare things sometimes. Uh, so yeah, I, I get benefit from it, but it's not in my uh, you know daily operations, if you like. That's great, actually. Uh, I mean, you're using it, but what when it makes sense, which is better than just using it because you y- you have to be using it as a tool, or because everyone's using it. And ChatGPT will not uh, catch a plane and go see the customer in person. For sure. <laughs> for now for now <laughs> it's going to be a strange looking humanoid uh when it when it does but <laughs> and we always we always like to finish with the human side of things because we are now in the era of ai and um 
at least I am a strong believer that the, the human part will become even more important when everything is AI. So how do you rest and recharge? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do I rest? Well, I'm very passionate about sports. I grew up with sports, so my thing is trying out new sports. Uh, and the other thing I'm very passionate about is nature. So generally those two things are what uh, resets me and recharges me. Um, whenever I have less time and I, and I still need to figure out a way to rest and recharge, I try to do something that's immersive. So my thing is to, let's say, pick a sport that is so immersive that it doesn't allow me to think about anything else, like squash, for example. Squash. I really like squash. I used to have a playing partner back in the day. <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> and uh, yeah, football is the same. Mm. Like there's so many things to think about during play football that I'm not able to think about, you know, all my concerns, uh, whether personal or work related. Uh, it allows you to immerse, uh, to be fully immersed. And also um, just the, the, the act of doing sports is, is just so good mm -hmm. for you on a you know biochemistry level that even if if it's a bad sport and even if you're bad at it you'll just feel great afterwards so that's that's my thing sounds good sounds good and uh, about squash it's so immersive that the only thing you can think about is how you're hearing your breathing because you cannot catch your breath because you're running all over the place but exactly. at least this this is my experience we, sh we should play sometime <laughs> Uh, would be would be an interesting uh, challenge. Match, match. I'd yeah. love to. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I'm missing a, a partner now. So, if if you can uh, replace uh, Evo, that would be great. I will do my best. I'm not sure Evo can be replaced in <laughs> any uh, in any shape or form or way because he is very uh, how to say charismatic as a, as a human being. But uh, <laughs> I will do my best to. We can try. We can try some squash, and. He will say the the thank yous about the entire episode. I will just hand you. We have a special gift for you because you came here. Uh, you took from your time and you shared a lot of valuable insights. So thank you. Thank you for being our guest. And here's our small gift to you. Thank you. I here appreciate you this. And yeah. thank you for having me, guys. I, uh, <clears throat> I love your podcast. Um, I love how um, open you are in this podcast. Like... Uh, it takes a lot to be willing to be vulnerable mm. and I appreciate that you do this here and this creates a very honest environment that I think can be very helpful to a lot of people. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Love to hear that. All right. So that's the end of episode number six. Six, 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 Daddy, is it six? six? Is it six? It it's six. six. We had Todor Strutiev here from Ampeko. It was a great episode. Please like, subscribe and leave some comments. Yeah.